You can cheer, it's all right, even if David Canastracy got you. Matthew chapter 23. I want to talk a little bit about the way things have happened this morning. God has just already done some tremendous things. But I want to talk with you about overcoming in the season ahead. We are in a different season in our lives. We're in a different season economically. We're in a different season with our lives. Each and every one of you are transitioning either into a season or out of a season or you're in the middle of a season. Are you with me? So I believe those of us that are in the middle of a season, we're going to be coming out of that season and I want us to know how to overcome in the season ahead. Does anybody want to know how to overcome in the season ahead? I want to know because there are some things that are taking place. God loves seasons. He ordained seasons. He set seasons in place in the universe. We are in the fall season coming into winter. There are some benefits of winter season. It kind of freezes some things and it really allows some bugs to be killed. <laughs> you need some bugs killed in you? <laughs> We're entering into that winter season. Just go get in the freezer. I don't, you know, <laughs> just, don't, just don't stand in the freezer and say, okay, freeze these bugs off of me. But the ground as a farmer, you have to understand that the ground has to freeze so deep in order for the bugs to be killed off for the next season for it to come back and produce. So we're, we're coming into a new season. We're coming into a new place. Even not only in America, but I believe in the world itself and the biblical worldview that we need to have of the world. We're stepping into a new season. And as I was meditating on this, thinking about this, I'm like, God, how are we going to be able to overcome in the new season? Because there are seasons that there were times that were difficult, seasons that you've been through in your life where, where you've just wanted to quit. Come on, somebody let's be real before the Lord you wanted to quit you wanted to give up you said fooey I'm not going to go back to church again fooey I'm not going to read I'm not going to pray don't give me any prayer focuses I don't even want to pray I don't even want to talk to God there are seasons that we get in that we get that way it's not uncommon turn to your neighbor and say it's not uncommon See, a lot of times we think there's something wrong with us. What is this thing? Because we're not on this spiritual mountain 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. I'd like to get there. I'd like to be there. I'd like to spend time with you But I got, I got on the mountain. But I got news for you. There are some valleys. And I think, Jesus, I think the Word of God says that He will be with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We will fear no evil. There are seasons where you might be afraid of things and issues in your life and what's going to happen here. Uncertain times as we begin to understand how the seasons begin to move. One of the things that I want you to know and I want you to understand here today is that there becomes an end to the season. Oh, come on, you hear me? There is an end, I'm sorry, but summer season for us in Oklahoma has probably ended. We may like some warm weather. We may be able to have a few more days where all of a sudden it's a little bit warmer, you know, and that's really nice. But it's time for cooler weather. It's time for the fall season to come. It's time for the trees. They need it. The trees will begin to start changing. You've seen the colors of the leaves and they're changing and they're falling off. 
And there's a time where you're going to drive down the street and you're going to look at those trees and all of a sudden the nice beautiful color is gone and they're bare. And really and truly, we probably would say that they're ugly because of what they look like with no leaves on there. There are times where fruit trees bear fruit and there's a time where they, where they stop bearing fruit. You have to understand and realize that we need to overcome in the season ahead. I have got so much information. We are going to get so much scripture here today. I cannot give this thing to you, um, uh, uh, all of it today, all right? So we're just going to take a portion of it. We're just going to take a bite of it. Is that okay today? So you turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 23, but before we go there, I want us to talk a little bit about one of the things that you've got to be willing to do in this season. I need you to write this down. In fact, if you need to, you probably need to put it on the inside of your Bible because you're going to need to refer back to it. There are some things that I'm going to give you. This has got to happen. If you are going to be an overcomer, if you are going to be successful in this upcoming season, and I believe God wants us to be successful... He wants us to be able to be an overcomer in this season. This very first thing we're going to talk about it is that you've got to have a heart change. I'm not asking you to fork out $2.3 million and go and have a heart transplant. I'm not asking you to do that. In fact, I believe that you can have a heart transplant for a lot cheaper than that. Can I get an amen? amen. God will do a spiritual work within us. And I think we need to, if you can, go to the next slide. I think we need to begin to look at this upcoming season. But you've got to be willing to change your what? Heart. Say it again. Heart. Again. Heart. We've got to be willing to change our heart. Well, wait a minute. You know, God will change my heart. Listen. Not unless you let him. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm in the hands of the maker. Well, you know what? You can be pliable and soft, and God can do it. And 99% of the time, he's going to say, what are you going to do? Yes, God can come down. I believe in the sovereignty of God, that, that the sovereignty of God, that, that he can just absolutely give you a new heart. Many of you have received a new heart. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have received a new heart. So we're going to look at this word. Is it okay if we take just a minute and look at this word heart? In the Old Testament, the word heart means lab. It's lab in the Hebrew. And it literally means the heart. It also used figuratively for very widely for the feelings, the will, and even the intellect. Likewise, here's what I want us to get a hold of. The center of anything. The center of, of, the center of you is your heart. You know, we have in, um, in our military system in, in the United States of America, we have a command center. That's where everything flows in and out of. And those of you that, you know, physically you have a heart. I'm telling you, without your heart, you can't live. If we physically removed your heart, the blood that's supposed to flow in and out of the body comes through the heart. It flows through the heart. So we begin to look at it in the Hebrew, and it means lab, and it literally means the center of a thing. Well, that's the Hebrew. What about the Greek? Well, let's look at the Greek. The Greek word for the word heart is cardia. Say it. Cardia. Again, cardia. Now you're talking Greek. 
It's all Greek to me. Well, it's cardia. And it literally means the same thing in the Hebrew, but it literally means this. It means prolonged from a primary. It's a Latin word that means core or heart. It can mean the center, the heart. It's the thoughts or the feelings of the mind. Also, by analogy, the middle. So we see the Hebrew, it means the what? Center. Everybody? Center. We see the Greek, it also means the middle, the center of the thing, the heart of a thing. In the Latin, it means the core. So I want to share some scriptures with you today about the heart. Ezekiel 18.31. Don't turn there. Just stay with me in Matthew. We'll get there. I'm going to use a lot of scriptures here today, so you may need to get the CD in order to be able to get them or write very quickly. Ezekiel 18.31 says, Rid yourself of all offenses that you've committed and get a new heart. A new heart. A new spirit. Ezekiel was prophesying and he says, You need to get a new heart. Psalms 51.10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Ezekiel 11.19 says, I will give them an undivided heart. We need to have, if you're going to overcome in this new season, you've got to have an undivided heart. We got hearts that are divided. That my heart is here or there or there or there or there. We talk about a fragment of the soul. There can be a fragment of the heart. My heart can be part of my heart can be in North Carolina. Part of my heart where I was born in upstate New York can be in upstate New York. I have had to bring all of those things and put my heart in Oklahoma. Come on, somebody. I have to, I have to bring and give my entire heart to Jesus Christ, my entire heart to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And he says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. And I will remove from their heart of stone <laughs> and give them a heart of flesh, a heart that's pliable. God can do these things. He'll, he'll put that heart in there and it's a heart that's pliable, but it's up to you to allow God to get a hold of it. You know, there were times where I wouldn't allow God to get a hold of areas in my life. I wasn't giving him all of my heart. I was only giving him part of my heart. I wasn't giving him all of my allegiance or allegiance, but I was only giving him part of that. See, Jesus is your Lord, or is he your Savior, or is he your Lord and Savior? A lot of times people will say, you know what, I just want him to be my savior. I want to get my fire insurance. I want to know that if I was to die tomorrow, I would be going to heaven and everything would be all right. But what about when you live for tomorrow? Is he willing to be your Lord? Are you willing to give him your entire heart? Are you willing to say, God, create in me a pure heart? God, take my heart if it's divided and give me an undivided heart. Give me a heart that seeks after you, God. When I'm running, I'm running after you. Give me a heart that runs after you, God, not that runs after the things of the world. Give me a heart that runs after you, God. And when you have a heart that runs after God, that you're willing to go after the things of God, then you know when you're doing this, you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the Bible says, then all these things will be added unto you as well. Does that mean I need to stay at home and, and just pray all day long, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week? No. 
No, you, no, you got to work, you know. You try that for a week and you get fired and come back to us and go, hey, Pastor, what happened? I stayed at home. No, you got to work. He says, put your hand to something and I will prosper it. But you can have a heart of God in the midst of your work. Come on, somebody. You can have a heart of God in the midst of teaching if you're a teacher. You can have the heart of God in the midst of drilling a rig if you're a driller. You can have the heart of God in the midst of delivering packages if you're a deliverer. Come on, somebody. You can have a heart of God. So if we're going to overcome, this is God, this is the essential ingredient. How many of you know you can't make chocolate cake without the chocolate? Can I get an amen? You can make a cake, and if you take out the ingredient of the chocolate, you will not have a chocolate cake. So God wants to take this heart that we've got, this spiritual heart, this physical fleshly heart, and he wants to make it after him. So he says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, he says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and the fruit will be bad. The tree is recognized by its fruit. So if there's a heart that's going to change on the inside of us, if there's something that's going to change, and we're going to overcome in this season ahead, we've got to have a heart transplant. I just, I'm not saying this. Just to say, let it happen today and tomorrow, it's transplanted back to the world. It's got to be a real deal. It's got to be a real deal. Say real deal. It's got to be a real deal. It's got to be a real thing. Does it happen just overnight? I don't think so. Maybe it's happened to you, but there were some things in my life that it didn't happen overnight. There were some things that I had to deal with. Issues of forgiveness and issues of acceptance and who I was in God no matter what I had done. Come on, somebody. There are some issues in our heart that have to be worked out. In Matthew chapter 23, I want to just kind of give you a little background leading up to that. Is that okay? Because we want to be able to look at the Word of God and have it in the proper context in which it was written. Jesus had answered some questions with the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees were a little bit different than the Pharisees. And he had had this discussion with these Sadducees and he had, he had taken these scriptures and, and Jesus was kind of giving them a line upon line and precept upon precept teaching. And he talked to them about some of the issues of the living and the dead. And the crowds had heard this and they were astonished. The Bible says that basically the Sadducees really didn't have anything else to say. Didn't know what else to say. You can find that in, in chapter 22. I think it's in like verse 34. So the Pharisees were also there. Jesus, if I can put you back into this time, Jesus is teaching the Sadducees, the Pharisees were there, and his disciples were there. Okay. In other words, if we take hermeneutics and we say, who, who said it? To whom was it said? Under what circumstances was it said? What did it mean to them then? What's it mean to us now? Jesus said it. It was said to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, and the disciples. Are you with me? So we've got the context set. Jesus is talking about these things. The Sadducees come up. Jesus answers their question, and he answers their question in a way that they don't know how to answer back. 
they do not know how to answer back. So I guess it must have been the Pharisees run at him. Let's get a run at Jesus. Let's see if we can do it. You know, let's see if we can do it. The Sadducees just tried, and now we don't have anything else to say. There's nothing else we can say. So let's take a run at Jesus ourselves. So the Pharisees come together, and they get a, they get a guy, and he's a lawyer. They say, why don't you ask him this question? So the lawyer asked Jesus a question about the great commandment in the law. And Jesus lays down those two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your... So we begin to see what Jesus is beginning to deal with here. He's beginning to deal with heart issues. It's heart issues. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he says the greatest and foremost commandment is that. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And he talks about those two different commandments. And he goes and he asks them a question. And he talks to them about, you know, about David. And Jesus, I mean, this was, if you look at this context in which it was there, he's like, you know, he basically asks them, he says, well, who, who, who's the son of David? And they say, well, you know, if we answer that Jesus is the son of David, and they did answer that, and Jesus says, well, what about when David said, I see my Lord? Are you with me? If you're, if you're there, it's just, it's verse 44. He said to my Lord, sit at, sit at my right hand until the enemies are beneath your feet. Who's he talking about? He was talking about Jesus. <laughs> and he said, well, if David then calls him Lord, then how is he his son? So the Bible says this. No one was able to answer him a word, nor did any of them dare to ask him a question. So are you with me? Jesus has just put the Sadducees in their place. The Pharisees, have, in my opinion, have gotten together and said, okay, who's the smartest one among us? You're the lawyer. You ask him the question. Come on, somebody. And not only did he take that context and he says, hey, he answered him and all of them were like, we're not going to answer anything else. We don't dare ask him another question. Now Jesus begins to deal with the Pharisees, the pharmaceutical place. And if you'll look at it in Matthew chapter 23, if you get a chance, read through it. But I want to start at verse 13 because we're going to talk about the, the woes. Jesus is now... At this point in time, Jesus is not the little hippie with the little sheep under his arm. Are you with me? See, a lot of times we have this perception that Jesus, and he was. He was nice, he was kind, he was gentle. But he was also uh, passionate. Thank you for that word. I was going to say vicious. You know, but, but, but he was. He had standards. His heart was right. He, he had come to the point where they had come against him, the Sadducees, and now the Pharisees had come against him, and he says, look, I'm going to straighten this thing out, and I'm going to lay this thing out right here, right quick. Because again, he was dealing with the heart. Say the heart. Okay, Matthew chapter 23, start at verse 13. Can we start there? But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to okay. go in. Okay, stop right there. 
first of all, he says, man, you guys, you guys are shutting off the kingdom of heaven to these people. You're not, you're not allowing them to enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, even while for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you shall receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering upon it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering of the altar that sancti- the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And he who swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Hold up right there. When we begin to look at this and you begin to start seeing Jesus is really dealing with some hard issues. He is, he's saying, look, what you guys have done, man, you guys are shutting off the kingdom of God from the people. You're making it that they've got to come and pay temple tax in order to forgive sins. And Jesus said, I've come so that they could have life and to have it more abundantly. So that now they don't have to pay the temple tax. Come on, somebody, for forgiveness of sin. And he began to talk to them about, you know, devouring widows. And he began to talk to them about making proselytes that, you know, making converts. But they become just as much a son of hell as themselves. 
And he says, woe to you blind guides. He says, man, you're more concerned about the money than you are the temple. And the, and the temple is just as important for the money. And you bring the money into the temple. It's not the money that sanctifies it. It's the temple that sanctifies the money. Come on, somebody. He says, and, and you guys are dealing with all these different, this religious, this structure that is there. It's an Old Testament structure that Jesus says it's going to be changed because he's coming. And he also deals with, with their, their offerings of mint and dill. It's like you guys are bringing an offering in here. And you think that is what sets you apart. That is what makes you right. It's not your offering that makes you right. He says, what about the weightier things? He says, what about justice and mercy and faithfulness? Say faithfulness. What about faithfulness and justice and mercy? And Jesus is saying, you guys are just bringing in this money and, 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 or your mint or your offering. And you're saying, that's what's going to set it apart. That's what's going to do it. He said, that isn't going to do it. There's other things that are just as important. He says, you blind guide, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. I got to think on that one a little bit more. Verse 25, and this is where I want to get to. Will you read 25 and 26 over again, I want you to look at the heart of the Pharisees and then look at what Jesus is saying. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Do you get the point? Do you get what Jesus said about the heart? He's taken the Pharisees and he says, you clean the outside of the cup. We can look good. I like wearing suits. Nothing wrong with the suit. I think I look good in a suit. I bet you there's every person that's in here. If we gave you a hair makeover, a, a shoe makeover, a, a, a clothing makeover, and got you know new glasses and all this stuff, you'd feel better about yourself. Come on. God says... This outside appearance is not what I'm after. Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees. And he was saying, you guys got all this stuff going on, but I want to get now to the inside. I want to now dive a little deeper. I want to go a little, I want to get a little evasive, as I believe what might be a terminology that we can use. I want to go to the inside. I want to know what's inside there, because what's inside there really is what makes a difference. You can be Bill Gates and be the, the biggest philanthropologist ever or Warren Buffett. But it's not the outside, it's what's going inside. And Jesus, I believe, is drilling. And I believe God is drilling today. If I can use this analogy for you guys that are in this oil field. He's drilling. It doesn't matter what the rig looked like. It matters where it's going and what it's going to hit when it gets there. Come on, somebody. So what does Jesus say about the heart? Matthew 5, 8, just listen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they see God. Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Matthew 12, 34, and verse 35. I read 35, but look at verse 34. It says, for out of the overflow of the, the mouth speaks. A good man brings up the good that's stored in him, and the evil man brings up the evil that's stored in him. 
What about Paul? Paul dealt continually with the heart. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Romans chapter 10. I want, I want to read Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 10 to you. Look at the heart here. But the righteousness based on faith speaks thus, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. In your what? Everybody. He's saying that. He's saying, look, the righteousness of faith speaks. Do not say in your heart. Don't, don't say in your heart that, you know, it, it's, it's not about bringing the temple tax. That's what it's all about. Don't say in your heart that's what it's about. It's not about all those things. He says, who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But he says, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your everybody. Heart. Go ahead. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Paul is after the heart here. It's not about the head knowledge knowing I need Jesus. There are 90% supposedly Christians in the United States of America and they say they know Jesus or believe in Jesus. But I got news for you. It's those that he's looking at the heart. He's coming to the place where it's not what takes place on the outside of you. It doesn't matter to me what bumper sticker you have on your car. You can have a fish. You can have that somebody can have this car when the rapture takes place. It's all yours. You can have the sign of the fish. You can have all these things. You can wear Christian t-shirts. You can look like a Christian person. You can do Christian things. But it's going to really boil down to the intent of the heart. Say the heart. We're going to get to the heart of the matter today. There's some issues within the heart. Ephesians chapter 6. Can you read that? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Serve wholeheartedly. Serve wholeheartedly. Serve what? Wholeheartedly. Everybody, serve wholeheartedly. You're going to overcome in this upcoming season. No, no, I don't think you heard me. You are going to overcome in this upcoming season. <laughs> Let me say it again. You are going to overcome in this upcoming season. See, we're going to overcome in this upcoming season. But here's the key. Everything comes out of here this is the foundation for your belief 
This is the foundation of what you do, what you don't do. This is the foundation in which your belief system should come from, and it should be the heart. So many of us, Wednesday night, we had a special speaker in, and Tony Bartolo, Bartoli, and he had cerebral palsy, and he talked about the issues that he went through and the difficult things that he had to overcome. But I want you to know that wherever you are, there can be a change of heart. And I looked at that man's heart when I met him, when I talked with him, and I thought, this man has a heart for God. I want to show you another example for this. Are you ready? I don't know if you're ready for it. Y'all ready for this? I want to show you another example of having a heart for God that you can do anything. Say, I can, I can. do anything in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Check this out. Anyong Haseo. My name is Nick Vujicic, and I love traveling around the world, fishing, golfing, and swimming. I love living life. I am happy. hopeless, broken, alone. It's like it was pointless. There's no point to my life. There's no point to going to school. There's, I didn't even think I was even going to be able to go to university, you know. And I, uh, cold. I don't, know, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like bitterness as well. and it's a pleasure to be with you. So I have no limbs, but I have my little chicken drumstick. And, uh... So it's like... You like that? That would be really cool if I could get this and get some techno going like... Here we go. One, two, three, four! along the way you might fall down like this ready <laughs> so what do you do when you fall down get back up everybody knows to get back up because if I start walking I'm not gonna get anywhere but I tell you there are some times in life where you fall down and you feel like you don't have the strength to get back up do you think you have hope? Because I tell you, I'm down here, face down, and I have no arms, no legs. It should be impossible for me to get back up, but it's not. You see, I will try 100 times to get up, 
And if I fail 100 times, if I fail and I give up, do you think that I'm ever going to get up? No. But if I fail, I try again and again and again. But I just want you to know that it's not the end. It matters how you're going to finish. Are you going to finish strong? And you will find that strength to get back up like this. some praise there'll be times that you're gonna fall and he wants you to get back up look at this let's give the Lord some praise amen that man doesn't have any legs, doesn't have any arms, but he's got a big heart. Can we come to the place where we have a heart like that? Can we come to a place where we're not so self-centered about ourselves that we can take what we've got the gifts, the talents, the abilities. He has a gift and talent and ability and it didn't, it wasn't obviously playing the piano. Are you with me? But his gifts and talents and abilities was something different. He's reaching people and touching lives because he has a heart after God. He's reaching people and touching lives because he has a heart after God. Look at me. Everybody look at me a minute. He's not doing anything that you can't do. You can reach people and touch lives because you have a heart after God. You're going to overcome in this upcoming season. You are an overcomer. That's what the word says. We're the head, not the tail, above only, not beneath. We're blessed coming in, blessed going out. Whether you've received the blessing of the Lord or not, it's there. Whether you walk in strength and power, you have strength and power to walk in the things of God. If you're here today, maybe you can say, God, I need a heart transplant. Maybe you could say, God, I want to be able to touch people's hearts and change people's lives. Maybe you can say, God, I need to make a difference in the lives of people that are around you, others that are close to you. Maybe you can say, God, how can I 
make a difference where I'm at. God's called us to be at this time in this place. He's called us to be at this time in history. He's called us to be here in Woodward. If you're from Sharon, Mutual, Moreland, Fort Supply, Laverne, Buffalo, wherever you're from, God's called you for such a time as this. In order for us to overcome in this upcoming season, in order for us to overcome in this upcoming time, this new season that's ahead of us, and we're all entering into a new season, we're going to have to have a heart transplant. We're going to have to look at things the way God sees them. Listen, do you know that God doesn't even see your flesh? Paul said, I look at no man to the flesh. I only see them to the spirit. That's what he says. God sees you probably not as we are, but in the spirit of what we are, what we truly are. I don't know about you, but I need a heart transplant. I need a heart transplant this morning. Maybe my heart's not totally there. Maybe I'm confessing to you that I got a long way to go. That I don't know if I could do what he does without legs or arms. I don't know if I could have the attitude that he has not being able to do things like I like to do it. But he took what he had and he made the best of it. God wants you to take what you have, the gifts and the talents that he's given you, and make the best of them. And if this is an example, many of you remember the example of Roger Crawford. That is an example. Many of you see the example of Tony Bartoli. You're an overcomer. You can do these things. You can step forward. You can cut off those things that have held you back. And you can begin to start reaching for the things that are ahead. That's what Paul told us to do. Forget the former things and reach to the things that are ahead. I don't know about you, but I can feel the spirit and anointing all over this. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to change your heart. I can't change your heart. I'm not going to try. Let's just release God to change our hearts. Many of us have done that. Maybe we're not there. You're going to get there. Maybe we're not at a point where we can totally forgive. You're going to get there. In Christ is how you can totally forgive. Outside of Christ, you can't forgive. Well, I don't forget. I don't forget. There are some things that God's totally erased from my memory. It's amazing. And there might be some things that all of a sudden trigger it and bring it back up. But I know it's under the blood of Jesus Christ and I can begin to walk forward in the power and the anointing of God. I'm just going to ask you to stand up this morning. Where, where are you? Where are we? Where are we in this thing? 
Change our hearts, God. Change our hearts. Change our hearts, God.